10 seconds left. Here I am, North Kansas City Rec League Championship. We are down two. And I, I don't know how I found myself in this league. I just signed up for this league, got in it. Here I was probably a decade ago. And this league had all of the D1 players who had been suspended from their teams who needed a league to play in. So here I am playing with Mizzou guys. Here I am playing with KU guys, K-State guys, um, Northwest guys. And here I am. I played on my freshman basketball team. And I found myself in the game down to 10 seconds left. They inbound the ball. The opposing team inbounds the ball. And I steal it dribble down the court, and pull up for three to win the game. I want to get a survey. How many of you think that I made that shot? Okay, like two people? Come on. Come on, church. Hey, my name is Mitch. I'm one of the the pastors here, and I did not make that shot. In fact, I've never made a game-winning shot. I've never had the game-winning hit. I never threw the person out at home. I never have made the game-winning play. Uh, I've never been on the winning team. I've never won a championship. And, uh, and that's just kind of been the, the history of, of my life. I, I, I believe that, however, it's a natural desire for all of us to be on a winning team, to be a part of something that matters, For some of you, maybe that's why you attend church. You believe that you're part of something that matters. As you watch that video, for me, every time I see that, and that's the last time we'll see that, uh, every time I I see that video, I, I just think, wow, when we come here on Sunday morning, we're part of something that goes back thousands of years. Do you think that, church, when you come in here on Sunday morning, that you're part of something that goes all the way back to to Jesus? That when you come and you worship and you sing those songs, you're singing songs with churches that are gathering that are doing the same thing all over the globe who are lifting up Jesus, that we're part of something bigger that matters. I believe that it's a a natural desire for all of us to be wanted, to be a part of something big that, that matters. And so today... I have the privilege of wrapping up the book of Acts and taking us all the way to Revelation. So thank you, Pastor Drew, uh, for (laughs) giving me this this honor to cover a ton of books. uh, But basically what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to summarize Acts to Revelation and really what the, what the church was supposed to do. I'm going to pull on a couple of threads that, that I was reading in the, as I read the New Testament as we've gone through this series. I'm going to pull on a couple of threads and we're going to start in Matthew chapter 28. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 28. If you don't have your Bibles, most likely you have one on your phone. It's called a smartphone. You can scan the QR, QR code in front of you, pull up the Bible app, be able to follow along that way. And so we're going to start in the Great Commission because I believe the Great Commission take the church, what the church does is they take Jesus's Great Commission and they take that to the ends of the earth. And that's what happens throughout the New Testament. And so um, before we get into that, I want you to know that Jesus is speaking these words, the resurrected Jesus. He had died. He had rose. He's talking to his disciples. And these are the last words that he gives his disciples before the book of Acts. And he gives them some other words that we'll talk about then. And so these words then fueled the mission of these disciples and fueled the church throughout the New Testament. By the way, 
a little sidebar conversation here. If you are not a believer in Jesus and you're in here, maybe somebody invited you or maybe you've been coming to church for a while and you've yet to place your faith in Jesus, I just wanna tell you that it is our desire that you trust in Jesus. Now, I know that might be a weird thing for us to say in church, but I don't want to hedge on that. That it's our desire that you repent of your sins, that you trust in a Jesus who loves you and that you start to walk in his goodness every single day. I don't want, I don't want to, to come up here and say that softly, but it is our desire that you trust in Jesus. I remember a couple of years ago, well, about 10 years ago, I was a, uh, I was a mentor at a school district. And so in order to be a mentor for these kids uh, who have, you know, they don't have uh, families and they, you know, they don't have parents at home and maybe they're in the foster system. They were just having a tough time at school. So they had these mentors come in and talk to these kids and just be, you know, good adults with them. And so we went through this training, this whole training, you know, background check and, you know, this is what we do and here's how we keep kids safe and all that kind of stuff. And at the end of this training, the school had us sign a document that we would not share our religious beliefs with these kids. And I said, I'm, I'm not going to sign the document because I believe that it is my responsibility here on this earth to share the goodness of Jesus. And so here's what I'll do is I'll be respectful. I'm not going to stand up on a table in the cafeteria and proclaim Jesus. But I'm, if, if it comes up, I'm going to talk about my belief in Jesus. And I said, okay, we're, we're okay with that. And I was volunteer of the year in that school district. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so, so I, I just believe that it is not the, the role of the Christian to be silent, but to be bold in their faith, and that's what we're supposed to do. And so here we go, Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 28, uh, 28, 18, it says this, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority on, in heaven and on earth has been given to me, underline that, because it really doesn't matter what he says next, does it? All authority has given to me. The man who has beaten death, the man who just beat death, all authority has been given to me. Okay, Jesus, it really doesn't matter what you say next. All authority has been given to you. The man who calmed storms that were storming, he says, stop, and the storm stops. All authority has been given to him. Okay, whatever you say next. The, the man who stopped demons and, and cast out demons with just his words. Now, how many of you are, and, and you know, this is church, but don't feel embarrassed. How many of you are like scary movie lovers, like The Exorcist and what, Rosemary's Child? Any, okay, nobody, I don't believe you. <laughs> Listen, church, okay. Lying is a sin. <laughs> so you, you've seen those movies, right, where, you know, the, the, there's a demon or somebody's possessed by a demon and they call the priest in or the pastor in and you know, a hundred times out of a hundred, that guy's getting smoked, right? <laughs> pee, vomit all over, you know, green pee, vomit all over this guy. The, the demon's climbing up the walls and spinning its head. All sorts of crazy stuff is gonna happen. You know that happens, but Jesus comes in and he says, leave and they leave. It's interesting, if you read the New Testament, if you read the Gospels specifically, the demons are really the only ones who get it. They're really the only ones who, who know who he is. The disciples are confused up until the end. Everyone seems confused about who he is. Is he, is he reincarnate John the Baptist? Is he Elijah? Like, who is this guy? And the demons understand 
that all authority was given to him. There was really no argumentation. When Jesus says flee, they don't say make me. They just flee. They go into pigs and jump off of cliffs. Like Jesus has that type of authority. So all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to him. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This word go encapsulates all the angst that is in us to desire something more. All authority has been given to him, and so we go. This then gives us that sense of awe and adventure that we've always wanted. This word go gives us this sense of being wanted and desired and, and, and needed that we've always wanted. And it's not just the game-winning shot, but I believe that all of us have a desire to be wanted and to value and, and to be matter. Let me talk to the, the women for just a second. I think, you know, you have this desire to be loved and accepted. That, that's why books like Twilight were so popular. Everyone wants a man who just happens to be a vampire, but also quotes scripture and plays piano and is good at baseball. And, but, and no, listen, he wants to kill you, but he's not going to because he loves you so much. We, we love movies like uh, the Gosling movie where he's like building a house. What's... Um, notebook, right? So the notebook where he's building the house and he just loves you to the end, even though you lose your mind and you just go feed geese with each other, right? We all, we all want that. But let me tell you, Edward Cullen doesn't exist. That guy in the notebook doesn't exist. Those guys don't exist. They're, they're put out there and he was like, oh, I just want somebody to love me like that. And then you, you date someone for a little while and it goes well. And then you get into marriage and you realize that guy is nothing like that. And the, the reason marriages fall apart is because you try to change them into what you desire them to be. And they try to change you. And eventually you're just miles apart instead of saying, this person is trying to, to form in the image of Jesus. And I'm trying to form in the image of Jesus. And the more that we do that, the more that we're going to have in common, the more that we're going to love one another. That's my my little sidebar there. We want to be, we want our lives to matter. We want to be on the living team. We want to be desired. And all of that is summed up in this word, go. This command, go. Go therefore and make disciples. Where? Yes. To, to who? Just go, right? Go. It, it really, he's saying it doesn't really change the essence, whether it's, you translate this as you go, right? As you're going about your normal everyday life and your normal everyday job, right? As you go, as you're going around the, the earth, kind of doing your thing, or if you're called to go hop on a plane and go to another country and proclaim Jesus, it really doesn't matter. The essence is still the same, go. And he says, behold, I am with you to the end of the age. And so I've titled this message, To the End. Get it? Because we're talking about Revelation this week and this ties it together. We're going to the end of the age. He's with us always. That, that desire to, to be on the winning team, that desire to be wanted, that doesn't, he says, listen, I'm, I'm with you. I have all authority and I'm with you. He brackets it here. And I don't know if you see it. He says, all authority has been given to me and I'm going with you. I have all authority and I'm 
gonna be doing that with you. And here's what that looks like and here's how that plays out in the New Testament. Acts chapter one, verse eight. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And throughout the letters of the New Testament, people are figuring out what this looks like and how the Spirit works in each person. And Peter, Paul, and the other disciples who taught about Jesus, these people who regenerated by the Holy Spirit, they asked this question. They, they were asking, what does it really mean now to live this out? What does it mean to go therefore and make disciples of all nations? What does it look like to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit? What does that all look like? And so whether that's these super apostles that come in, these apostles that came in and they, after Peter, Paul, and these other church planters had left, these super apostles came in and said, oh, here's how you actually have to do it. They're working that out. Or whether that's how do we really engage with the Jewish law or how are we supposed to live this out? And what do these gifts mean? There's a whole summary of the rest of the New Testament. What does this really mean? Because for them, Jesus changed everything. And now they're trying to figure out how do I live this out every day? And so here's what I want to do. I want to look at how this plays out individually and then how this plays out in the church, because for them, everything had changed. And so whether, you know, you're, uh, you, how does this play out for the individual, right? As you're hopping in your car on the morning and you, you know, go to Starbucks and get that caffeinated drink. And how does that look as you run this out throughout the life of the believer? And so the first thing that I want to point out is that the Holy Spirit works in you for a purpose, The Holy Spirit works in you for a purpose. And this is huge. I remember when I was in middle school, I really struggled with who I was. I was, uh, I shot up between sixth grade and seventh grade. I, I grew like this tall. And so I was the tallest person in middle school. I was shaving in sixth grade. I hit puberty super early. And so there I was a foot taller than all of my classmates and just felt really awkward, just standing in the lunchroom. I remember sweating, you know, and just really like, who am I? I remember having a, a conversation with my mom one night. She had a little bit uh, too much to drink and um, she just railed against me. She, you know, this, this whole idea that I was a mistake and she's the reason that she's married to my dad and all of this. And just, you know, she's having a rough time in her life. And left me like, well, who, who am I? What am I supposed to do? Like, what am I supposed to do here? Acts 1.8 tells you what you're supposed to do here. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Some of you are asking, well, why don't I feel power, right? Like, why don't, why don't I have power? Why don't I feel my spiritual gifts? Every single time that the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the New Testament, it's, it's tied to this idea that the Holy Spirit comes to regenerate the believer, to regenerate the, the person who is far away from God, to then l- have them live on this mission to proclaim Jesus. So every single time the Holy Spirit comes, whether that's talking about the comforter, whether that's talking about gifts, it's for that reason. And so it's for them to live out the mission of Jesus every single time. And so 
Believers then in Jesus will receive power, right? They'll receive comfort. They'll receive gifts. They'll receive peace. They'll receive direction. And that same Holy Spirit that worked in Paul, that same Holy Spirit that worked in Peter, that same Holy Spirit that drove the church to, you know, 3,000 people and then 5,000 people. And what, what did that look like? The same Holy Spirit that hovered over the waters, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Scripture says over and over in the New Testament that that same Holy Spirit resides in you to give you a purpose. And so my question for you is, you know, you might be asking, well, why don't I receive power? Why don't I feel my spiritual gifts? Well, my question is, what, what do you need them for? Like, what do, you, what do you really need them for? Are you taking the gospel to the ends of the earth? Are you taking the gospel to the ends of your neighborhood? Because if not, what do you need your gifts for? Do you think that God gifted John Elway that laser rocket arm for him to sit on the couch? God has gifted you. If you, you read here, um, A.W. Tozer says this. He says, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. I, I believe that's true in our church. We could probably do the stuff that we do and... Nobody would really know the difference. But then he says, if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn, been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. You have received power and what is your purpose? Why do you need the comforter if your life is already comfortable? Why do you need spiritual gifts if you think that you're capable of doing life on your own? Why do you want direction if you're not willing to listen. Listen, you don't need the Holy Spirit to be encouraged. Bluey can do that. <laughs> you don't need the Holy Spirit to be energized. A good cup of coffee can do that. You probably don't need the Holy Spirit to figure out your direction. You've probably done a good enough job figuring out your direction on your own. But if you want real purpose in your life, that can only come through the Spirit's work. That can only come from the Spirit's work when you engage in your purpose day by day. Engage in your purpose day by day to ask the question, what is the Spirit leading me to do today? What is the Holy Spirit leading me to do today? I think that so many times we ask this question, what is God's will for my life? What does he want me to do? Okay, Mitch, you, you got me fired up. Here we go. I'm ready. God, where do you want me to go? You want me to go to the ends of the earth? I'm, I'm in. You want me to go wherever? I'm in. And we're, we're so good at asking those big picture questions. God, what do you want me to do someday? But what does it look like to listen to the Spirit's nudgings today? Uh, Francis Chan says this in his great book, Forgotten God. He says, it is much less demanding to think about God's will for your future than it is to ask him what he wants you to do in the next 10 minutes. It's safer to commit to following him someday instead of this day. I want my life to mean something. I want your life to mean something. I don't want my life to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? look like? How are you going to do that in his power? If you're anything like me, you're, you get excited and you say, okay, I'm going to take this and I'm going to apply it. Here's what it looks like tomorrow. Here's what it looks like next week. 
that what Francis Chan says is that safe, but it, it's harder to say, okay, God, what do you want me to do today? How do you want me to be obedient in the next 10 minutes? And I believe that when you start to do that, when you start to operate in that, that form of just obedience, okay, God, what, what do you want me to do now? Then, you're, then it, those things start to stack, right? And then you look at your life and you say, wow, look at what God has done. Then your life can only be explainable by what God has done. Only God could do that. But when we say, I'm going to follow him, I'm going to do big things for him someday, I'm going to give someday, I'm going to be regular in church someday, I'm going to join a group someday, I'm going to read my Bible someday, then someday will always be someday, but you're not obedient to the Spirit today. The role the Holy Spirit plays in your life is not dependent on your goodness, your skills, your abilities, but your willingness to obey daily. God wants to say, look what I can do through him. Look what I can do through her so that when people look at you, they can say, only God gets the glory. I want to rant for just a second. I know Drew just talked about the, the kids who just got back from camp. And what I believe is that what those uh, children's workers are doing in children's ministry, what Kev is doing in the youth ministry is so critically important because there is no junior Holy Spirit. That, that kids, when my, my six-year-old trusts in Jesus, right, she doesn't get a miniature version of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit doesn't just come and says, okay, well, you get this much Holy Spirit, and as you mature, then you get more Holy Spirit. That Kids get the fullness of the Holy Spirit. There's not a mini Holy Spirit that, that works in her. And so I believe that our children and the things that they're learning, that they're being formed, and we need to teach this daily obedience to them. When you read the New Testament, you need to realize that the majority of the disciples were teenagers, that they're the ones who are in the mission field as well, that there's no mini Holy Spirit, that they have the fullness of Holy Spirit. We need to teach these kids how to use their gifts because they're probably interacting with more non-believers in their school than you ever will. And so they're in a mission field and we need to equip them and train them and love them and serve them. And we need to lift up Courtney and we need to lift up Kev because they're doing critical ministry every single day. And so there's no mini Holy Spirit. Sometimes God, we see this in the Old Testament. Sometimes God says, okay, I'm gonna put an eight-year-old in charge and he's gonna show his glory and his goodness through that. This mindset shift happened for me when I stopped asking what he wanted me to do someday and instead started asking, God, what do you want me to do today? The second thing that I have for you today is that the Holy Spirit works in the church to accomplish Jesus's mission. God doesn't give the Spirit to individuals to be autonomous missionaries in the world, but to individuals to come together to corporately take Jesus' mission, to accomplish Jesus' mission to the ends of the earth. That when you read the scriptures, when you look at that, nobody goes out alone. Paul, he doesn't go out alone. He's taking Paul, he's taking uh, Silas, he's taking Timothy, he's taking Mark, he's taking whoever, right? He's always taking somebody with him. That the church is meant to do this together. The church is there to accomplish Jesus' mission to the ends of the earth. In the, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews is a, is a sermon that was written to the, this group, right? Most, most uh, letters in the New Testament were written to uh, individuals or they were written to uh, churches or churches in cities. This group to the Hebrews was written to 
the people, the Hebrews. And so this, this sermon uh, really plays out and it's how Jesus is glorified and, and who Jesus is throughout the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews 3.14, it says this, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence to the end. What does it look like then to share in Christ? I, I think we have this, this idea that Christ is mine, right? I have a personal relationship with Jesus. That Jesus, It's just me and Jesus. And, and while that's true, all throughout the Bible, we're, we're taught that we're supposed to share with each other, right? That, that our position is in him corporately, that we're in him together. And so the Holy Spirit's working in us so that we could then reside in him. And our, our confidence then is not in, in our work, but it's in his work. It's to the church then is to accomplish Jesus' mission till when? Till the end. That the church is to share in these things, to share in who Jesus is, the one who is worthy of heaven, the one who is worthy, because we're not. And so that's what uh, Hebrews says, that we're supposed to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence to the end. And so Paul then, as he's in prison in Rome, is writing these letters to the church. He's writing these letters back to the church. And I have a picture of kind of what that um, looked like. This was a, uh, you know, he, it says that he's in prison in Rome in this home. And so this is kind of what uh, chained to a Roman guard. And, and Drew covered that a little bit last week. And so when Anna and I were in Rome a couple years ago, uh, we saw what this would look like. It would be this basement prison. And uh, a lot of times what would happen what would be uh, that the, the water would kind of pool there in the basement because, you know, they didn't have drainage systems or any of that. And so what we believe is that, that Paul used that, that rain and that drain and that, that mucky water to baptize people as people were coming to see him at the end of the, the book of Acts. And this is kind of what that looked like. And in, in, um, uh, in that prison, Paul wrote this, this book of, Colossians. And in Colossians, he's writing back to the church and he says this. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us. And get this, pray, pray for Paul as he's in prison. So that what? So that he would get out. Pray for Paul so that, that what? That he would be comforted, that he would get food, that he'd you know, receive a jacket. What, what does he want prayer for? He says that God would open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Here I am in prison. Here I am in the worst place that I've ever been, right? Uh, Drew mentioned last week, bit by snakes, shipwrecked, all this stuff. All this stuff happened to him. And his prayer is what? That God would open a door so that he could tell more and more people about Jesus. What would it look like for all of us to pray like that? What would it look like for all of us to just pray like that? God, would you just open a door? And then the daily obedience is about just walking through that. God, what door do you have? Not just here at church, not just the staff. Like we, we pray for that. God, would you open a door for us? God, where do you want us to go? Not just the elders here, but what would it look like for all of us to pray that prayer and to walk through that door? Forefront is all of us, not just those who have, who have, uh, you know, are in positions, but it's all of us who have said, "Hey, we've we're on mission together." 
I believe that the, the church in America will change when it, we don't just depend on the leaders to pray that prayer, but all of us start praying that prayer. God, where's the door? And I'm just gonna walk through it because we're so dependent on the professionals to do the ministry when all of us are supposed to be praying that. God, what, where's the door? Let me ask you this question. And this, this is just for the, the believers in the room, those of you who uh, attend Forefront, you call Forefront Home. I just wanna ask you this, this question, and this is not meant to be sarcastic, but if everyone gave and served and prayed and attended exactly like you, would the church be healthy and empowered? What would it look like? If everyone were exactly like you, would the church be healthy and empowered? If the church just has a few paid professionals to do the work of the ministry, the church ultimately will be dependent on how good or how charismatic or how, how great they are. But what we see is that the, the work of the spirit is for every individual in the church. It's for all of us to be on mission together, not just for a few experts to do it. What would that look like? What if we were all fueled by Jesus' mission? What if we all shared together in Christ? What if we all collectively asked this question? I believe what would happen, church, is we start to take the city by storm. That it's not just pushing up a pastor or pushing up a worship experience, but it's saying all of us together are actively seeking the good of the city and the work of the Spirit in our lives. And so here's just a, a couple of things that we could take to, to really live out and be this kind of church. Here's just a few things that I have for you. The, the first one is, like, like Darren said today, that next steps class. What is, okay, what is the next step in my faith journey? And I understand some of you may have some things going on this afternoon. Go to the next one. What is the next step? I love that idea. What is my next step? Not as God want me to do in 10 years, but what is my next step today? How's the spirit working in me today? The, the second um, thing that I have for you is, is practice hospitality. And I believe that this idea of hospitality, it's a biblical word. It used to have a really deep, rich meaning. And now that, that idea of hospitality, I believe has been hijacked by Martha Stewart. Now we see hospitality as you could throw a good dinner party. But the idea of hospitality it's just simply this idea of loving those who are not like you, being hospitable to the stranger, being hospitable to the foreigner. I wanna ask you just to, to ask that, that question is, as I, as I look at the people in my circle, how many of them am I dependent on to receive something from? The idea of hospitality in the New Testament is the person across from you at the dinner table can offer nothing to you. They're the enemy, they're the stranger, they're the foreigner. What would that look like for you to, to practice hospitality? I want the, the third thing is just simply ask somebody this week, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? Well, I, you know, I, don't, I don't believe in God. Well, I didn't ask you that. I said, simply said, how can I pray for you? And nine times out of 10, they'll give you a bunch of things. They'll just unload. They'll say, hey, uh, here's this thing going on in my marriage. Here, my, the, this kid is doing this thing. I have this thing going on at work. And then just simply follow up. Say, hey, I've been praying for you. Here's, here's this verse that, that was brought to mind as I was praying for you. Just simply pray for people. I've never had anyone say, how dare you? 
wanna pray for me? Nine times out of 10, they'll say, yeah, I, I, would, I would want some prayer. The last thing that I have for you is this idea of faithful presence. This idea of faithful presence. I love this story of Martin Luther. There's uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer. Um, he, he's, uh, he's there in town and a, a new Christian comes to him and he says, hey, I just, I just trusted in Jesus. What's next? And so Martin Luther says, well, what do you do? And he says, well, I'm a cobbler. I make shoes. Like, should I, should I start making these shoes and put little crosses on them? And Martin Luther says, no, don't, don't put crosses on them. What Martin Luther simply says is this. He says, make a good shoe and sell it for a fair price. Colossians 3, 23 through 24 says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For all of your engagement, for all of your Bible verses, for all of your cross necklaces, for all of your attendance at church, for all of you talking about Jesus at work, none of that matters if you're a bum at work. If everyone has to move around you because you're lazy, faithfully engage, faithful presence. All of that vanishes if, if people are saying, listen, this, this, this guy, this girl at work, I just constantly have to move around them. You know what, what is a good witness? It's being good at your job. Make a good shoe and sell it for a fair price. We work hard, we encourage our bosses, and this is how we're to operate in the world. And maybe you say, well, my, that coworker is a dog. Well, sometimes dogs need encouragement. Sometimes dogs need a pat on the head. That's how we're to operate in the world. And so church, my hope for you this morning is that you would just take these things that, that you wouldn't say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get serious about my faith one day, but that day would be today. And you would take those daily steps of obedience the daily walk with Christ and that you would follow him day by day till the end. Let me pray for us.